Well, howdy, folks. Welcome to Michael Perry's voicemail, episode number 189. Out the window in my little room above the garage here, I can see that despite the unseasonably warm December temperatures of late, we are nowhere near haying season. And yet, I'm thinking of haying season because I just heard that my childhood neighbor, Jimmy Ballroot, died. Way too young, for sure. And and the first thing I thought of when I got that news was him and me on the hay wagon out there on the second 40 back one summer day, just talking in the sun. Two country boys with life all wide open ahead. I wrote about Jimmy once in an essay about small town funerals. I changed his last name for that piece, but it was him all right. And in the scene, we're eating lunch in the basement of the Lutheran Church after Clarence Carlson's funeral. And that little passage goes like this. I sat by Jimmy Volsrud. Our fathers used to put up hay together, and Jimmy and I helped, but once he invited me to his treehouse to share his raisin stash. It was good to see Jimmy after all the years had passed. I told him I'd been leery of his raisins because I saw Daddy Longlegs crawl out of the red sun-made box. I long coveted Jimmy's bike, a hand-painted blue single-speed fitted with sissy bars and an orange banana seat. He seemed pleased to recall the bike, and we talked about popping wheelies. So when I <clears throat> saw Jimmy's obituary, I thought of that bike, too. We rode together some. I remember him peeling out in the dust, which seemed so cool. It was all dirt roads back then. But the hand, mostly, that's what I thought of. When we first moved into that country, the neighbors all still shared equipment, and they'd all get together, and someone would bring the baler and the mower, and someone would bring the wagons, and he brought everybody brought a tractor. And, and one time early on, Jimmy's dad got stuck with the baler, and we ended up hooking every tractor we had together to pull him out. I, I wrote about that, and I wrote about haying in the book Coop. The scene begins with me on the wagon, with Jimmy's oldest brother. We started on the hay wagons young. I remember standing beside the oldest ballroom boy when I was still too small to do anything more than drag the bales from the chute to the back of the wagon. I watched how he stood sideways at the mouth of the chute, one hand hanging and the other resting on the emerging bale, and when it was my turn, I stood just the same. Thus we accumulate the stances of manhood. I learned to ride the pitch and lurch of the wagon, knees slightly flexed to absorb the topography. I learned to wait until just before the bale reached the tipping point on the chute before hooking my fingers beneath the twin strands of twine, and how to walk with the bale to one side until I reached the stack and swung it round to boost it with my thigh. When I grew older and stronger, I used a motion similar to a weightlifter's clean and jerk to get the hay bale above my head, where I'd balance it on my forearms for a moment before bending at the knees and tossing it free-throw style atop the stack. My brothers and I marked our development as men by how high we could pile bales on a wagon. The day I pitched one nine high, I felt my shoulders broaden. Sometimes you'd rear back to pitch one, and the twine would snap. The bale exploded in midair and dropped chaff on your head and down the neck of your shirt. 
The hay wagon was towed behind a baler operating on a combination of forces ranging from the deft touch of the rake-like teeth that skimmed the hay from the stubble, the brute force of the knife-edged plunger chopping and stuffing the hay into the bale chamber, and the Rube Goldberg complexity of the nodder. In short, you fed a loose windrow in one end, and neatly bound bales came out the other. The speed of their delivery varied with the thickness of the hay. In thin cuttings, the plunger had little to work with, and the bales moved in nearly invisible increments. If the windrow was the diameter of a grizzly bear, the bales lurched outward several inches at a time. A large flywheel kept the rhythm steady for the most part, but now and then, and especially on the back swath, where much of the hay lay in shade, you'd hear the baler bog on a chunk of wet clover, and, and then you'd keep an eye on the chute for the bright green slug packed beneath and between the paler dry hay. If there were two of you on the wagon, it was fun to try to time out the bale so the other guy got the wet one, which would lift like a bag of bricks compared to the rest. After every few bales, a soft pile of chaff would accumulate on the wagon below the up-tipped chute lip. I picked up the habit of kicking this pile away, but sometimes I'd grab a pinch of the chaff and put it in my mouth like chew, drawing out the toasted sweetness of the dried alfalfa by squeezing it between my cheek and gum. When the last windrow was consumed, we scrambled to the very tip-top of the load and rode home. The hay moved with a ponderous pitch and sway, as you imagined it might be to ride an elephant. It was a quiet place atop the bales, elevated above the tractor noise, and, and the ride home was relaxing. You could look out over the country. But the work was not done. The last of the hay still had to be stowed. Unloading was the easiest job. You simply unpacked the pile and dropped the bales to the elevator where hooks on the chain caught the bale and slid it up the rails and into the mow. The hay mow was hot duty, and especially so if you were stacking in a steel shed. One summer, we took a thermometer to the peak of the pole barn, and it read 113 degrees. The person on the wagon was at the advantage over the mow crew, the mow crew, rather. So we would talk about the mow rather than say hay mow. We just say the mow, which is spelled the same as mo. So there you have a real-time whoopsie. The person on the wagon was at the advantage over the mow crew, who had to carry bales across the uneven face of the stack. You were forever sticking your foot between two bales and going in up to your knee, the hay scratching along your shins. Every now and then the unloader would start dropping bales on the elevator faster and faster in a good-natured attempt to founder the folks in the mow. It was fun to see how long it took before a face popped out the haymow window and shot a dirty look. When the last bale was stacked, I'd pull off my haying gloves. Dad bought them in stapled packs at Farm and Fleet. They were yellow and made from material something like felt. They were stiff the first time you drew them on, but before long they went soft and balloony from all the sweat and the constant pull of the twine. If you wore a hole in a finger, the tip soon became packed with a solid knob of chaff. When you pulled your gloves off after a long day of haying in a hot weather, especially if you were working in the unventilated mow, your hands were wet and moist, almost dishpanny, and your wrists were matted with bracelets of sodden chaff where the cuffs had clung. It felt good, though, the cool air on your skin.
You know, when that book Coop came out, I caught some flack for the haying sections. A few reviewers dinged me and said those sections were too long and boring. But for every one of those, I had three conversations at book signings or got a handwritten note from someone who said those passages transported them back to their own evocative memories. And I think sometimes that's why you just stop trying to be a fancy artist, a capital W, a writer, and you just write about hay bales. Because somewhere out there is a reader who remembers what it was to end the day all scratched up and sweaty and plum-tired men. If that means somebody knocks a star off my Amazon rating, well, I'll let her rip. I guess everything ain't for everybody. Thanks uh, again for, for listening, folks. And for this week's Marginalia, I dove back into the book Mistress to an Age. That's that 1958 biography of the woman whose name I can't pronounce, Madame de Stael or Stahl. Stahl. So far, not a word in that book about hay bales, but I'm only halfway through. I'm, I'm at the part where she's about to mix it up with Napoleon. Anyways, it's me. I'm going to check the weather and see if I should go ahead and finally attach the snowplow. Thanks again for giving this your time. I, I do not take it for granted. I also don't say goodbye. I just say what we always set up there when, when the last hay bale was stacked, which is, well, I suppose, forward. <laughs>